ahead in that video. He said, imagine a church that's committed to radically serving their neighborhoods. A church that faces head-on the complexities of their culture. That fights injustice. That confronts lies. That's celebrating diversity. That's lifting high the name of Jesus. He said, imagine the gospel spreading, reaching into every dark corner of this planet. Disciples coming to be trained and to go out. Men, women, families, counting the cost to go to the places where Jesus has not yet been named. I love imagining all those things. I love imagining those things where we're, that he's asking in this video, right? But the question this morning and the thing we want to talk about is what it's, what's it going to take for that to become a reality at Redemption Church? What's it going to take for that to become a reality at Redemption Church? We're partnered with Acts 29 who put that video together. We're partnered with Acts 29. We're a church in downtown Augusta. And we want to be a church that does exactly like what that video says, that we drill deep and we reach wide, right? We want to see downtown saturated with the good news of Jesus. That's what we say the vision is at the at Redemption Church. And we want to send people out all over the city, all over the nation, and all over the world so that the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the gospel advances. But what's it going to take for it to become a reality? Would you pray with me? Our Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you uh, for this morning uh, where you've gathered your people together and uh, in the midst of a festival downtown, in the midst of a storm around us, um, to proclaim the good news to one another. That Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again and has become our King, and he has put us back, made a way for us to be put back in a right relationship with you and each other. And in a even a weekend where we see all these different cultures represented on the streets out in front of us. I'm thankful that it's only through Jesus Christ that we ever experience any true family with these people. And here is a demonstration of it this morning where you gather us together. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would mind each heart of the gospel, say what you would have said. And Lord, like send us out from here with the proclamation of Jesus and his good news uh, to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you've noticed, maybe you've even commented, maybe you've talked about uh, how the church today isn't quite what it ought to be, right? Maybe you thought some of that. Perhaps you've been a critic of the church at times, uh, maybe the church at large, maybe even the just local church, maybe even Redemption Church, and, and, and rightly so in many instances. Maybe even as we've gone through the last 28 chapters of Acts, which we finished last week, maybe as we've gone through Acts, you've noticed some discrepancy between the way the early church looked uh, and, and what the church looks like today. We know there's plenty in the media, there's plenty on social media uh, who are telling us what the church should be and what it should look like, right? And, and, and also, they're correct a lot of the times, unfortunately. The church at large in America hasn't really served our neighbors radically. Some of the things they say about us are true. We haven't served our neighbors radically. Honestly, sometimes I think we are just trying to get them to serve us. And the church often avoids facing the complexities of the culture, right? And it's ended up essentially turning our backs on a great many people. 
And the church in America has a history with injustice, but it's not a really great history with injustice. It's a picking and choosing which injustices we're about and which ones are okay to confront and which ones aren't. For instance, it's okay for the church to confront abortion, right? But not okay uh, to confront police brutality and the taking of black lives or uh, a justice system that seems to even prey on young black men. It's okay to expose and judge the sins of like the leaders in our popular culture or the Hollywood stars or the corporations, but we've covered up the sins in our own churches of our own leaders, refusing to confront them. We can talk about giving to the church at church. We can talk about how we should be generous, but we don't really talk about how we spend or how we save our money. That's kind of out of bounds, right? We're not allowed to talk about how we can how we treat the planet or how we even treat uh, the, its, its resources and its animals. Churches in America have a history of com- compromising the gospel. It's true. They either confront the lies of the culture with legalism and judgment or refusing to confront the lies of the culture at all in the name of love or in the name of peace. This is what you may see. This is what I see. And this is what many people in America see when they look at the church. The church in America right now kind of looks like a chump. But can you imagine it being different? I think that's what this video calls us to do. Can you imagine it being different? Can you imagine, do you even know what revival looks like? Can we even get that in our head? Like what it would be like if everything changed? Like what if Jesus' name was lifted high in our churches in word and deed? How would that affect our culture? What if we looked radically different in the church? What if we served radically different? What if there were churches springing up all over our city and all over our country and all over the world that looked different, who were radically different? Could we see real differences being made in our neighborhoods? Could we see real differences being made in the world? What would the world look like that we end up handing our children and handing the next generation if we were radical followers of Jesus? I keep seeing this preview on TV. Uh, I don't know when I'm seeing it. Maybe during golf on Sundays or what. I don't know what channel it's on. Uh, it's about these doctors. I guess it's like the new ER or Grey's Anatomy or something. And, you know, it's, it's real dramatic-like. And uh, the, 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 the head doc- doctor's giving everybody, like, permission to treat people no matter what the rules are and stuff. And there's just, like, this one scene that they keep showing where he's in front of his staff. And he's like, we keep, it's, it's real emotional, right? He goes, we keep saying, we got to change the system, but we are the system, right? Let's be doctors again. It's real dramatic. It's good. What's going on? Sorry. I sound great to me. I guess I could just leave that up there. Sorry. Anyways, let's be doctors. Whoa, that's so different. Hey, y'all. Yeah. Hey, did you guys get that doctor's story? Okay. Not really? Okay. So everything I just said, that's great. I was saying there's this doctor's uh, TV show, right? Maybe you've seen the preview, and he's, he's uh, in front of his staff. And, and I'll just get to the point. He makes this real dramatic uh, scene that they keep showing on TV. And uh, he's like, 
We keep saying we need to change the system, but we are the system. Let's be doctors again. Have you seen that? Yeah. It looks great. Give me permission to be dramatic too. We know that the church ought to be different, right? We know that we ought to be different, that we ought to be more like Jesus, but we are the church here, us in this room. Let's radically follow Jesus again. Let's be true to the name Christian, a follower of Christ. Do you remember in Acts where we saw that we were first given that name, Christian? It was back in Acts chapter 11 in Antioch. Whatever this particular church looked like in Antioch, it made the people there in that city, in their neighborhood, call them Christians, call them followers of Christ. Whatever they were doing, whatever they looked like, it, it said to everybody around them that they were followers of Jesus. Right? So today, I just want us to consider what it would take to be the church that we might imagine, like in this video. What kind of church we could and should be. So we're going to go look back at this church in Antioch as we kind of close our time in the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 30. You can read with me. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. It says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report, uh, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers uh, living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There's four things I want us to see about the church in Antioch. Uh, four things I kind of want us to observe this morning. And they all just kind of connect and work together, but we'll just jump right in. The first thing is this, they were true to the heart of the Great Commission. At the church in Antioch, they were true to the heart of the Great Commission and who they carried the gospel to. Here's what I mean. The Great Commission, you remember it, it's at the end of Matthew. It's Jesus' final commission uh, to the disciples at the end of the book, right? And it starts like this, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. See, when the church scattered out of Jerusalem in Acts, we saw this happen. Stephen dies and there's 
persecution that starts happening in Jerusalem towards Christians and they get scattered. And and here, as we're reading in uh, Acts chapter 11, they're scattered and as they go, wherever they go, they're preaching the gospel, they're telling people about Jesus, but only other Jews. They're only telling Jews about Jesus. But Luke says that folks went preaching the gospel to Jews wherever they went, but some in Antioch, also preached to the Hellenists. That's Greek non uh, Greek speaking non Jews. Not only did they not just flee individually and find safety and find security and kind of hunker down in the midst of persecution, they went out together. They all went out, continuing to proclaim Jesus wherever they went. And in Antioch, they didn't just go out proclaiming Jesus to their own people. They saw they went out beyond their own people, right? They saw it as an opportunity to reach out beyond themselves to make disciples of all nations, not just the Jews. This particular church recognized the opportunity for the gospel to go beyond the confines it had known before, the confines that it had known in Jerusalem and began telling Hellenists about Jesus Christ. This led to one of my favorite uh, characteristics about the church in Antioch, and it's in chapter 13. I'll just read the first verse. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here's the thing. They were radically diverse. We looked at this when we went through this chapter, but they were radically diverse, even in their leadership, uh, pretty, pretty much straight away. There's two Jews, two likely from Africa, and one Roman mentioned in this group who come to pray and fast and worship together, seeking the, the Lord's direction for the church in Antioch. And this diversity is a product of their staying true to the Great Commission. It's a product of them going beyond their own people with the gospel. And already their church is beginning to look more and more like that new city that's talked about in Revelation, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation are worshiping Jesus together as a family. Here's what I want us to see here in this first point. There's a connection between how a church drills deep and how a church reaches wide. It's not just two jobs that we're supposed to do. Like we're supposed to do some inward stuff and we're supposed to do some outward stuff. And so we just kind of, you know, click each of those boxes and get them done. No, it's, it's part of our own discipleship as a church, right? Part of our own discipleship is tied up in the, the, the things that these, uh, is tied up in how we go and make disciples of all the nations. It's part of, part of drilling deep is tied up in our reaching out wide. As we reach wider, we drill deeper. As the Jews in Antioch reached beyond the Jews, and they reached beyond themselves, right? Even just in Antioch, to those who weren't like them, they gained a better understanding of the good news, right? As they reached out beyond themselves, they gained a better understanding of the good, good news, and the church looked more and more like Jesus said it would. And they ended up being a clear proclamation just in how they're even made up of how Jesus was making a people who were not a people into the family of God. That's the first thing. They were true to the great commission and who they took it to. The second thing I want us to see about the church in Antioch is closely related to the first. They were true to the great commission, not only in who they carried the gospel to, 
but in how they did it. They didn't just look for a conversion right away. That's not all they did when they thought of evangelism. They didn't just go out to get the conversion. They gathered together and they taught and they baptized and were together with them. They understood evangelism and something, uh, they understood evangelism Evangelism is something that you do together, is something done together, is something done alongside one another. Not just a quick try at getting somebody to make a decision in a moment. I think this is evidenced in both uh, the leadership, which we just read about, uh, but, but also um, in Barnabas. And Barnabas comes, we just read about it, he came and he observed even before, um, even before we see this diverse leadership in the church, he comes to observe because he sent from Jerusalem and there's some evidence of this in how he reacts. Let's look at it. Like he didn't just come out and check out a revival service to see how the music was, to see how many people walked the aisle. Uh, he didn't like think, man, that was great and exciting and fun and give the staff a high five and say, you got it under lock. I'm heading back to Jerusalem, right? Check it out. Acts 11, 23 through 26. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught and a great many people, and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. See, Barnabas was glad when he saw the community. He was glad that he went. He was so glad that he saw what he saw in the community that he, he told them to continue faithfully in the purpose that they had, to keep going at it. He left and he went and got Paul and he brought him back and both of them pretty much just joined this church and joined the people in the rhythms that they were in for a solid year, for a whole year. So I say that this is staying true to the Great Commission and how they reach people with the gospel because they, they seem to get that the mission isn't just about getting a decision out of somebody, it's about much more. Like the Great Commission says to go and make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe all of Jesus' commands, and that Jesus is with them until the end of the age. And I think they got something. They, they got this. They got that... How can you teach a person to observe all that Jesus taught? How can you teach them what worship is like and and how you truly worship God? How can you teach them that Jesus is good news in every area of life if you're only looking for a decision and then you're out? How can you show them that Jesus is with us if you're only looking for a decision? How can we show them that Jesus is with us if we're not with each other, even in the evangelism process? How can we show them that Jesus is with us if we're not with them? Right? Now, certainly many experience a moment of decision, and I'm not knocking that at all, right? We experience a moment of decision to follow Jesus, and it's all through Acts. We see it happen all through Acts. But there's always this mindset of evangelism and discipleship, like within the context of community, within the context of going together. And this is the right understanding of the Great Commission and of our mission. In practice, it generates something that individual, one and done, I'm out, evangelism and decisions just can't generate. It generates community that makes up the body of Christ. 
It generates a family that a city can see, that a city can notice, that a city can be impacted by. Like I always think of uh, Megatron or the Power Rangers when I think of this, right? No? You know the Power Rangers? You got like a red Power Ranger and a black Power Ranger and a pink Power Ranger. I'm not sure what, I don't know the fourth one. I know that there was pink and black and, and red. Blue, thank you. And the blue one. But when they came together, remember like they could never really, they just never could really complete the mission on their own. Like just the red Power Ranger couldn't make it happen. And so then all of a sudden they'd be like, Saber Tooth Tiger or whatever it was. And then, right? And then they like formed this giant Power Ranger GoBot or something. What's that? Yeah, that guy. Right? They, uh, yeah, so they, I can't, I don't know what name you said. I'm sorry. Uh, but when they came together, you didn't notice the individuals anymore. You didn't look at the pink, black, blue, and red Power Ranger, right? You saw the, the thing that they made up, the person they were a part of. You no longer were looking at the individuals. And that, I think that's just kind of like us. That's the way I see the church. And Paul uses this all the time. He uses it famously in Romans 12 and in Corinthians 12, the body of Christ and how we're made up of different bodies, how it's made up of each of us as different body parts working together as the body of Christ. The community that makes up the body of Christ, that's the church, that's us, is our proclamation of Jesus to the city and to the world. It's what the city and what the world will see. It's what the city and the world will think of who Jesus is. It's what they'll be influenced by. It's what they see of us together, not what any one individual necessarily is doing, although that's obviously part of that. I'm going to move on. Third thing I want us to see is that they were a church planting church. Antioch was a church planting church. This is what happens at the beginning of chapter 13 where we just read a few minutes ago. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And the rest is kind of history, right? Like they planted a ton of churches. The church in Antioch set aside two of their best. They set aside two of their best to give away to others. I love that. That's so generous. And churches just kept being planted and the gospel kept advancing. I mean, Paul, especially as we followed him after this point, just churches after church after church and place after place after place were planted. They were replicated. And in many ways, Paul was just planting the same DNA that he got from his home church back in Antioch. He would go beyond his own people to those who were not his own spending time and energy and resources and journeying with and laboring with and laboring alongside many to establish churches and to send out more church planters. There's books written in the Bible, letters to other church planters. And Colossians itself, uh, which we've talked about a lot, is from a church planter. Needless to say, they were effective in their 
mission. They were effective in their church planting at Antioch. I mean, it wasn't Antioch that was personally responsible for every church plant, but they were a big part of it. They valued it highly. They contributed it to it in a big way, very generously, even giving two of their best. Here's what I want us to see is we're still on mission together today. And even if we want to reach beyond just downtown Augusta, the proven most effective way to reach people with the gospel is to plant churches. Check this out. It's from Tim Keller talking about church planting. He says, new churches best reach A, new generations, B, new residents, and C, new people groups. First, younger adults have always been disproportionately found in newer congregations. And second, newer, uh, new residents are almost always reached better by new congregations. And last, new sociocultural groups in a community are always reached better by new congregations. New churches best reach the unchurched, period. Dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members, 60 to 80 percent, from the ranks of people who are not attending and worshiping in a church. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90 percent of new members by transfer from other churches. I bring that up because we're affiliated with Acts 29 and we're affiliated with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, both organizations who champion church planting. They both value it highly and we've always believed that church planting is the best way to reach people. It's the best way to reach unreached people and we've always wanted to play a part in it. And in some ways we already do. We support these organizations so we get to be a part of that and we get to help, uh, you know, even just in the money that we give and in how we pray for them, we get to support. But we'd love to do even more than that. I'd like to see us purposely plant a church out of Redemption Church in the next couple of years. I'd love to send even some of you out together to plant another church in Augusta, Evans, South Augusta, Aiken, Brazil, I don't know where. I would love to see that happen. But in the meantime, I want us to be a church that champions those who are planting churches, who champions the idea of church planting. I mean, that's why we've been praying throughout this year for church planters and for missionaries who are going out with the gospel, right? We believe like what they're doing is, is extremely important. It's reaching people that the established church just isn't reaching, We believe it's the most effective way to spread the gospel to unreached people. And then point four, last observation. It's closely connected to the other one, to to number three. I'm inspired by church planting, by the church planting church in Antioch because of how they contributed, 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 wow, that's weird. Because of how they contributed to the ongoing renewal of the church at large how they gave to the ongoing renewal of the church at large. This is just a glimpse, but I just read along with me in uh, Acts chapter 14, 25 through 15, 2. I'll just read it real quick. This is back in Antioch. This is speaking of Paul and Barnabas. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. 
and there remained no little time with the disciples. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, if you remember uh, what happened from here, there ended up being a very big meeting in Jerusalem, right? They had to go and consider what... uh, what the Gentiles had to do with, with the Jewish customs and ways and whatnot to actually become a Christian legitimately. And Paul and Peter at this point had already gone to Gentiles. Gentiles had already received the baptism of Christ and they've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at one point we know from Galatians that Paul had to confront Peter on this before. Then they're back in Antioch, is back at his home church where they celebrate with him how they had planted churches and taken the gospel out to all these Gentiles. And people come in saying, no, they got to they gotta do this and that and the other. They got to be circumcised. They got to be like us, right? And it's, that's, I mean, the heart of Antioch where it's a diverse people who went beyond themselves with the gospel already and sent Paul out beyond themselves with the gospel already. They debate them, and then they send Paul and Peter up to Jerusalem. And after much debate in Jerusalem, the council ends up celebrating also, which is fantastic. And they glorify God for what had, how the gospel had gone to the Gentiles. And then they send Paul and Barnabas back out with a letter to the Gentiles saying what they do have to do and what they don't have to do, but basically a very freeing letter. But what I want us to see is that the church in Antioch, Like how the church in Antioch and and really the churches planted by Paul influenced the whole church, right? How they influenced the whole church by influencing the church in Jerusalem, right? They went back to the core. They went back to the head dogs in Jerusalem and they influenced them because of what they had seen Jesus already do. Churches planted in new contexts with new people are sure to harvest more good news for the church to celebrate and learn from. You hear what I'm saying? Like when churches are planted in new places amongst new people with new context, we actually get to see more of the good news at work. We get to see Jesus do more than we had seen before. And it brings more good news back into the church. And it helps renew and reinvigorate the established church. And Antioch did that. And I think we'd be wise to be a part of that as well. So what can we take away from this church in Antioch? There's actually a lot of things we could take away from the church in Antioch. But what kind of church might we imagine? And what kind of church should we be? Like I focus a lot on the church reaching wide, right? That the church in Antioch, how they spread the gospel and how they show us why we should be church planting. That's what I'm getting at this morning. There's a lot more to the church in Antioch. I really love it. But I think the thing that we need most to hear at Redemption Church is how they were a church that spread the gospel, how they were a church that went out with the gospel, and how they were a church that sent people out with the gospel, and how they planted churches. We need to be a church that shares what we have with others. And you know what we have? Jesus. We have the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior and King. We have the very best thing 
for everybody. It's Jesus. After finishing Acts chapter 28 last week, right? I'm closing our time in Acts together this morning just by showing you an Acts 29 video and talking about church planting, and there's a reason for that. By the way, Acts 29 isn't a chapter in Acts. Uh, it's not a chapter in Acts. That's, that's the point. Uh, the last chapter in Acts is Acts 28. Acts 29 is to insinuate that we are to continue the story. We are to continue the story, to continue taking the gospel to the nations. Like we should be a church that drills deep and reaches wide, realizing that the two are tied together. And that if we're not reaching out, if we're not taking the gospel to our city together and sending out to the world together, then we're missing the mark. We should be a disciples, making disciples, uh, leading people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus, church planting church. That's who we ought to be. What's it going to take for it to become a reality at Redemption Church? I think if we're going to look towards that end, if we're going to have that as a goal, we've got to ask what kind of church we currently are, right? Whenever we ask a question like what kind of church we should be, we have to ask what kind of church we are. Just like when we ask anything of any corporate scale, right, we have to then ask the individual question. If we're going to ask the question of where we are and and what we actually look like, then we're going to have to ask the individual questions of each one of us, like what kind of Christian am I? Because the church is made up of the individuals. I think it's kind of like Michael Jackson looking at the man in the mirror or the doctor in that TV show asking the doctor's who make up the system to be the change themselves. I know that we could probably drum up a church planting campaign. We could probably get one of those big thermometers over here and like raise money to send uh, out for church planting, and maybe we'll do that. Don't, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking that off the table, right? I'm just saying we could do that. We could drum up a church planting uh, campaign. We could all get involved. We could make something happen, Right? But we could also forget that this is all about Jesus and that he is building his church by working in and through us. It's his church and he's building it and he's working in us. So I think it's important as we just close the book of Acts this morning just to consider who we are at Redemption Church that would cause our neighborhood and our neighbors to look in and to call us Christians. And I think you've got to consider that individually too. Would your neighbor call you a Christian? Would your neighbor call you a Christian? Would the person you work with call you a Christian? Why? Why would they? Like what, what do they see in you? What do they see in us together at Redemption Church? Would they look at our church and say, Christians, followers of Jesus? Unless we, if we didn't have it marked somewhere that we were about Jesus, is that what they would assume? with those questions in mind that I think that we got to ask of ourselves because I think it's important that if we're going to talk about church planting we got to look at ourselves to assess where we are and what's going on here there's no point in drumming something up and planting something that wouldn't look very Christian right it's with those questions in mind that we'll be turning back to Paul's letter in Colossians over the next several weeks 
Like we spent some time in Colossians uh, last year just before uh, we got into Acts this year. Uh, and, and in the book, we see Paul exhort people to live from their identity in Jesus in some very specific ways. And I was inspired uh, earlier this year when I heard Ray Ortland. He's a pastor at an Acts 29 church in Nashville. Uh, he said this, he said that if we're going to continue the work of Acts, if we're going to be an Acts 29 church and continue the work of Acts, if we're going to plant effective uh, churches that plant more churches, then we have to be a people that look like those that Paul exhorts the Colossians to be like. A people who put off the old self and who put on the new self. Basically, if we're going to see God use us to continue the mission of Acts and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then we'll be a people marked by the work of Jesus so that when others see us, they would know who we belong to. They would call us Christians. They would call us followers of Christ. So over the next several weeks, we're going to sort of be rooted in Colossians, and we'll get into that next week and and even beyond that some, but we're going to talk about some specific ways our own lives should be marked by the gospel, some ways that if people see us, they would say Christian, right? That's what we're going to do. That's how we're responding to Acts, but I still want to ask us, what about today? Like, what I'd ask us today is, what I just want you to consider some stuff as we kind of leave this book and talk about how we cap off Acts and what it calls us to to continue the story and to plant churches. And as we head into Colossians to consider some of those questions, what I want you to do today is just consider a few things. Those same questions. Would your neighbor call you a Christian? Why? What do they see in you? What do they see in us together that would indicate that you belong to Jesus? Or why not? Why would they not? call you a Christian? What do they see that would, that would make them say other? Or maybe it's what they don't see at all. I think we should consider those things prayerfully. I don't want us to ask those questions and then spend the next week in guilt either. That's not the point. Nobody's, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about who they are, or what they do, or what they don't do. Instead, I'm just asking us to prayerfully consider and prayerfully ask these questions. Maybe go ahead and start reading through Colossians as you do it, spending some time in Scripture as you prayerfully consider what you need to put off, what you have put off, what you have put on, or what you may need to put on that makes you look more and more like Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, he's proven that he can conquer anything. He's proven that. And in the gift of the Holy Spirit, he is with us, and we are with one another as a family. And he's shaping you and he's shaping me and he's shaping us into a new creation to look more and more like Christ. So I'm just calling you to consider that over the next couple weeks. Get in Colossians, pray about it, consider how do you look more and more like Jesus? Where are you not looking very much like Jesus? To your neighbor. And I know that looking inwardly can be kind of a painful thing to do, but confession is also freedom to let the gospel work in your life in new areas, for your good, for your joy, for my good, for our good, for our joy, and for the glory of God and for the spread of his fame. So I'm really looking forward to kind of diving into this over the next several weeks, and I hope you'll start reading in Colossians with us and considering those things together. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week at Redemption Church, and we do a few things. We spend some time in prayer. If you uh, would like us to pray for you, you can uh, put your 
I think the prayer request box is actually out in the lobby today. We have arts in the heart, so we've changed some stuff around. But you can put a prayer request in there. We'd be happy to pray for you. Um, you can pray right where you are. You can grab somebody to pray. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a time of worship, a time for you to reflect, maybe even a time for you to begin to consider some of these very questions. They're in your bulletin also. Uh, and then also, uh, we, we also take tithes and offerings in the back as we can worship with our giving uh, back there. And each week at Redemption Church, we take communion. So we'll come down each side, and uh, there'll be people here to serve, and you can take a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine or the juice. And when we do that, we're, we're remembering and we're proclaiming Jesus, that he is Lord and Savior, right? That that was his body and his blood given for us and proven that he's for us, that he's not against us, that he's got power over death and he's certainly got power over our sin and he's certainly got power over our guilt and he's bought and paid for us. And it's an invitation to you if you don't know him to hear what we're saying in our action. Jesus wants you to be a part of the family. Come on in. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move into that. Father, I thank you for this day again. I thank you for some time just to look back over Acts and just to get that call from Acts 29 and the Christian Missionary Alliance to be a part of your global work of church planting. And and I think that's for the good of those who are unreached, but I think it's there's something there for us, God. Like I know it. I know that. I know that you are giving us a gift when you are calling us to tell people about you. That's what you made us for. And so it's a gift that we could be used for what you made us for. Help us discover the riches that you have for us and proclaiming the gospel to each other and doing this thing alongside one another and confessing our sin and confessing where we haven't fully submitted to Jesus yet to one another and in proclaiming the gospel into each other's lives, Lord. So that we go out and so that even this church and this body that is here, like is seen by the community in that we're in is something radically different, something that has to be named Jesus, something that has to be named good news. I pray that you would do that in us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.